Building a very narrow portfolio that is psychologically nice, but financially wrong is just dumb, right? That's not about any, it's not about earning the returns that the market and, and, and commerce give you, right? You've turned it into now a social zealot kind of thing. And everyone's got their own values, right? Don't get me wrong. That's what we do. We take people's values and we build them portfolios, but we also help them prioritize. Welcome to another edition of Be The Change Georgia podcast. Our featured guests are amongst today's most purpose-driven leaders who are proving that a stakeholder-driven economic system that cares about their people, communities, customers, and the environment, not just shareholder value, is not only the right way towards a sustainable future, but that it's also great for business. Today, Nathan Stuck sits down with Scott Sadler, the founder of Boardwalk Capital Management in Atlanta, Georgia, and one of the founding fathers of Be Local Georgia. Scott's advisory practice is laser focused on sustainable and social impact investing. Some of you may know of this referred to as the acronym ESG investing, which stands for environmental, social, and corporate governance. What's really cool about Boardwalk CM is that they were the first to be named a certified B Corporation in their industry in the Southeast. Scott's story and reflection of lessons learned in this episode will help us all see very clearly the benefits of ESG thinking for companies and investors. Take it away, Nathan. I love that the central theme we came up with was the benefits of ESG investing for companies and investors. And you actually came back and said, can we change it to the benefits of ESG thinking? There's some logic because uh, what company is doing investing in ESG, right? They're investing in themselves. So the idea is as an investor, you can think and apply these thoughts in how you select securities. And you can also, as a business owner, uh, use these same kind of principles to run your business, which just so happens to be consistent with the B Corp uh, process, right? So altogether, it's the way you approach the problem. Pretty straightforward. Just, I guess you would call it a subtle but important distinction. Well, and I don't want to steal thunder from later in the uh, interview, but I know too, it's also uh, something that has become profitable. <laughs> so it's, it's become a profitable endeavor as well to to invest with your or vote with your wallet or whatever you want to call it to invest with your values. So well, are you stealing thunder, thunder or are you queuing me up to say uh, how that works? Well, I mean, I was going to go further back. We were going to kick it old school here and, and kind of talk about um, what or, or who really motivated you to pursue the world of capital management and investing um, when you were getting started in your career. Yeah, well, it's funny. Uh, there's, there's sort of two important uh, points in my career. And one, of course, starting out out of college. And, you know, every now and then you decide to take a chance. And I'd always been invest, interested in investing, but most of the jobs were in banking. And that was commercial lending. And for one particular interview, I decided just to throw caution to the wind and say, I have no interest in commercial banking. I want to be in the investment management division. And it was, it was an interview that was mostly argumentative, me telling the interviewer, I don't want to do your job. And when the, when the letter came, because we've all gotten these, right? When we were in college, you get the letter back and go, oh, there's a, there's a whole drawer full of rejection letters. I said, I'm just going to put that in without even opening it. And I opened it and they were inviting me to come visit him. So that's part A, is if you have passion and you go after it, sometimes it's infectious for other people, right? And I had passionate about it and I got the job and, uh, and it was a great, great job. And, um, and then when we switched over, you know, in sort of 10, 12 years ago, uh, when I started this firm, 
to be an impact and sustainable investing shop. Uh, my wife was the most influential person in that regard. Uh, if you go to our website, you'll see she is the chief inspirational. And I kind of give her credit for uh, having been someone who, who, as a consumer, boycotted more companies than I've ever bought things from, right? So um, that was sort of a, a, a nod to corporate social responsibility, right? And being a good corporate citizen. Bottom line is, she said, if you're starting a firm, let's do something we'd be proud of. And my answer was, if you're talking about social investing, that's voodoo and it doesn't work. And I tell that story every time I do classes that I teach um, because it says that's how people thought about impact investing or sustainable investing was that it doesn't really work, it underperforms and they couldn't have been more wrong. And so I had to do the research to find out that, you know, as an analyst or as a portfolio manager or as a mutual fund manager, you can't divorce yourself from the logic that you have to make good financial decisions, right? When you're doing this, because you're a fiduciary. Um, but I did the research and it made sense. And I said, well, this was already in my heart. Why not make it the full-time vocation? And so those two important points in my life, I say, kind of kind of set the stage for what we're doing now. Well, and it's funny because it's the same argument people make about B Corps in general, is that it's just like this hocus pocus, tree hugging, drum circle like nonprofit type business. And, and you look at some of the the heavy hitters. I mean, even I've watched the company I work for scale from, you know, eight to 150 employees. We're making money. Yeah. We just, you know, there's just, you know, as I've heard our CEO refer to it, there's just some guardrails to corporate decision-making that we, we live between. In the case of Boardwalk Capital, I would say, you know, we're probably three times the size that we were four years ago. And that's, partly because we've really focused on uh, being a sustainable and impact-oriented shop. Um, and uh, I was reading about another, one of our you know, com- competitors from across the country that was one of the top 50 firms in this space, in the impact space. And I said, well, I wonder where we are. So I went to the website and found out we're one of the top 52. So, um, but you know, it's funny, they don't want to tell you this stuff, right? You think they could have sold an ad or something by giving me, hey, we're going to put you in this ranking. But um, I think it just says that we're onto something societally. It matters. It works. And, and people are, you know, kind of embracing it. Well, and at the end of the day, just like for us, if we do a good job consulting, people come back, new people come just like for you, if you're making your investors money, mm-hmm. they're going to keep coming back. I mean, it's also, yeah, if you were losing everybody money, maybe those values go out the door a little bit quicker, but I'm, I'm going to have to knock on some wood here, Nathan, because um, you just did the thing that uh, it's the equivalent of having the cover of sports illustrated, right? I mean, you, you, you did, you did the scary thing. You talked about performance, so I'm knocking on all the wood. But I think that's true, right? Which is nothing goes up all the time. Nothing is in favor all the time. And there are cycles in performance. And ESG has been in a really strong cycle for a while. And um, it won't persist every year. But the the idea that I had years ago uh, in a different business was that I want to be right two-thirds of the time. Because if I'm right two-thirds of the time, I'm going to beat most people in this business, it's like baseball, right? If you get on base a third of the time, you're a rock star, right? You're an all-star. And, and so, you know, beating your peers by a little bit and beating indexes by a little bit every year compounds nicely, right? And that's what we're hoping to do. We're, we're say, we say to people, we wanna have competitive performance with a better footprint. And we want the footprint to be the footprint that you want as the investor. So, you know, we're, we're hopeful that that works out 
and so far so good. So going back early in your career or, or just, I mean, I guess over the course of your career, what's something you found more challenging than expected that maybe you wish if you could go back in time and tell yourself something, you know, Hey, be ready for this. Um, what, what would that be? Part of my interview process in college was avoiding jobs that had sales and marketing. Right? I wanted something more analytical and I, I didn't get it. Right. And, and to be unfortunately frank, I didn't fully respect the talent that it takes to be good at marketing and sales. Right. I would say everything has marketing and sales in it. And you own a business, it's all about marketing and sales. But so the thing that I didn't get was that there's no way around that. And the way to succeed in that, my feeling is networking. And you can't overestimate how important networking is. I mean, you're the consummate networker, right? I mean, let's look at this guy. I mean, he says something on LinkedIn and 50 people chime in and love it, right? So having a network of people around you they know you, they know your brand, they know what you're doing, they help. And, uh, and so, you know, I totally missed the mark coming out of college. And it took me you know, another 25 years to figure that out. But having your own business means you learn things the hard way. You have to do it. There's, there's no plan B, you know, you have to figure it out or get a job working for the man. I tell, and I know you teach as well. I tell all my students that don't be afraid of a sales job. I did a sales job, B2B, C-suite sales. I did it for three years. I'd say I got a C plus and it is the most invaluable experience I could ever dream of. I mean, it teaches you how to overcome adversity. It teach, And when you start a business, you know this, you don't have a sales team. <laughs> Scott Sadler, president, founder, salesperson. You know, when, when you hear someone say to an entrepreneur, ah, you're, you own the company, you have to change the toner in the copier, that shows they know nothing about having a business because no entrepreneur can afford a copier that actually has toner, right? They have the three-in-one printer, right? So yes, I have to learn how to do all the systems work, all the compliance work, all the marketing, all the you know, social media. That's the nature of having a business. And that's actually what I like best about it, right? It's that jack of all trades requirement that some people are more narrowly defined. And I think having a lot of responsibilities is sort of the best part of having a business. You know, and even you know, early on in your career and some of the stuff getting into where you finding this kind of later in life and, and 12 years ago, starting this and really finding your calling, but you took things from those earlier jobs and you're able to apply them to entrepreneurship, which I think is very cool. And, uh, and you learn from other people, of course, right? And that's where that network comes in. Um, and I didn't fully understand, for instance, what an advisory board could do until you see what a successful advisory board does for a company, right? And that's one of the fun things about working with startups, too, and an early stage company. You, know, you get to see how, how other people do it. I mean, you, you don't know. You're just you're kind of taking stabs in the dark and trying your best. And then you're like, oh, geez, if I'd done it that way. So um, that's just the nature of business, right? I mean, you don't know what you don't know, to quote Donald Rumsfeld, right? The unknown knowns and the unknown unknowns and that. <laughs> well, and the, and the humility to know that you don't know everything, I think is, is a brilliant um, mindset to know that there's somebody out there. If you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Nothing quite like the humility of uh, failure. For years and years, right? I mean, it is what it is. You start with a burn rate when you start a company. You lose money hand over fist for a while. 
Yep. And you're going to lose de- you're going to lose deals. You're going to lose proposals. You're going to lose all of that. It's part of and and being a B Corp does help because maybe it gives us uh, some additional shots at the basket with clients who may not have seen us before. Right. Wouldn't have considered it. We do have clients who came to us because we're a B Corp, found us in the directory. That all it really does work sometimes. Uh, if I had to live only on that, I would be starving. But it's nice that we get some. I appreciate that. Yeah. And 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 touching on that, I mean, you've you've been, I think, certified for six or seven years now. You know, we've been certified. I think this is start of year five, but there's a parallel here, I think, between both the popularity of B Corps and the popularity of, of investing. People are starting to think a little bit more about where they're investing, and ESG has become a buzzword. But you know, it's it's not only performing well, but I think they're they're growing in popularity. And I'm just kind of curious, is you know, you're we're both kind of ears to the ground, but what you're seeing, especially with respect to the investment side of What's what's driving this? Is it generational? Is it is it just awareness? What's really motivating people to kind of start thinking about like where is my four hundred one k parked? Yeah, you you touched on a lot of things there, and I would say generational issues are Im- important here, right? Because we know that, for instance, the baby boomers shaped this country for decades, right? Their attitudes um, really drove a lot of things, and we're finding that the millennial and Generation Z, um, they're more discerning as consumers. They have been empowered as investors. They are more selective as employees with for whom they work, right? So if you're the company who wants to hire or wants to sell a product, you have to understand that this is the paradigm that your consumer or your future employee is going to use in evaluating your product or your or, or your company. And so the investment world just is following those attitudes. It's about what you buy, you know, where you shop, you know, what you're willing to do for a living, who you're willing to work for, who you're willing to invest in. It's just a natural extension of all those paradigms, those attitudes that people have. So I would say some of it's generational, but it, it's bleeding over to society at large. And when you look at the investment business, I mean, Impact and sustainable investing is not new. It's been around since the Puritans, right? And so, and it's true. That's true, right? They they had a bias toward you know certain types of investments they made, and and so with that as the history, you can look at the evolution. It kind of started in places like Europe, right? It also started with big pension plans, where you know they had labor union pension plans that that then respected what their members wanted in terms of how the money was invested in their pension plan. And then people saw they were successful and individuals and college endowments and stuff started uh, emulating what they saw big money doing. And so it just kind of grew. And I think performance drives everything, right? So, but let's face it, ESG is just about finding good companies. It's is that simple. Companies that are well-managed, companies that deal with risks, companies that use resources more efficiently, that are better employers, that are better, uh, you know, uh, community citizens, right? All those things feed into better profitability at the end of the day. And so this is not remarkable, right? This is actually the most, like my old boss used to say, nose on face item ever, right? It is very, very straightforward and very common sense and it doesn't have anything with hugging trees 
right? It is a completely about disciplined investment management. And uh, it's, it's like, once you see it working, you realize it's logical. Well, and the beauty of it too is, is I won't go out, you know, my feelings about Milton Friedman. Um, I won't go down that avenue, but it, for those is, who can't see me, I almost choked on my, uh, my tea. This is, it, it is free market capitalism at work though. It's, it's supply and demand curves and Gen Z, I, I will give Gen Z credit. You know, I mean, when you were coming up in your career, you almost couldn't even speak about your values and that you didn't want this or you, you know, cause they would just like, look at you and cast you, throw you out the door for millennials. I think we were afraid cause we got those stories from our parents and then Gen Z shows up and they're just, they're just burning everything down. And all of a sudden we found our voice because now we're like, well, now we're not the minority anymore. We can jump out here and say that this is what we value. So it really is just, there's a demand for this. And you, you touched on it. It's employment. It's what we purchase it's where our money gets invested that it's a it's it's driven that's that that demand curve or the supply wherever you want to say to the point where it's profitable you know and and it's and it's good business and you need it if you want to recruit talent sell things okay it also is risk management right and 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 when you screw things up there are financial costs not only in fines or whatever but in the, the capitalization of your company if your shares go down because of something you have evaporated wealth, right? And that's that's not what the management team is there to do, and ultimately will be fired if this is how they run, right? So that that's pretty straightforward. And also, you have a brand, and there's brand equity, right? And so supporting your brand in all those ways we just talked about is actually real money, right? It's not just oh, it's nice to have or hugging a tree or what have you. It's real. And it doesn't make your stock price go up necessarily, but it does. It is part of the, uh, the the total sort of sum of all the reasons why you do things with sort of an ESG lens. Yeah. And I want to go back to something else you touched on because um, you, you, you said it indirectly. Um, and, you know, obviously we've got the, the I kind of I know where I think you're going to go with this answer, but. What are some of the mistakes, I think, or what are the things, I guess, somebody that's trying to be more intentional about this investing? And you talked about, you know, sometimes it's not necessarily that this company's out there saving the world, but that they're using things, you know, uh, resources more efficiently, that they're they're doing business with a little more due diligence, a little more stakeholder primacy. So somebody that wants to be more intentional about this kind of investing, like how can they get it wrong or kind of maybe what pitfalls should they be looking for or even what? What should they know going into it? Okay. Well, I, I think the first thing I would say um, is there are no perfect companies. None. No matter how hard you try, you're always going to find warts, right? And it may be something as simple as they're trying to minimize how many taxes, what they pay in taxes, right? And I say, but you, this is my view, this particular person over here on the side, my view is you should be paying your fair share of taxes because we all benefit when you do, right? As a shareholder, I go, mm, I'm kind of back and forth on that, right? So there are no perfect companies because everyone has a different lens on what they consider perfect. So if you are ultra selective in what you will invest in, you will eventually eliminate almost everything, right? And so building a very narrow portfolio that is psychologically um, nice, 
but financially wrong is just dumb, right? That's not about any, it's not about earning the returns that the market and, and, and commerce give you, right? You've turned it into now a social zealot kind of thing. And everyone's got their own values, right? Don't get me wrong. That's what we do. We take people's values and we build them portfolios, but we also help them prioritize, right? You can't have everything. You can't exclude everything. Build a diversified portfolio and you will be in the river and the river will carry you. Don't just invest in these two or three narrow areas because if those are out of favor, you could go a decade and not earn any money. And we assume with every one of our clients that they have some financial objectives, right? They're trying to accomplish something. Our first order of business is to work toward achieving those financial objectives. Then the overlay is how do we do it in a manner that is consistent with your social values and priorities. And so it's a give and take, right? And so don't go crazy is kind of the summary of what I just said over being too selective because you'll end up with nothing, both financially and you'll have no representation in your portfolio. So I hope that's that's clear. Yeah. And I think there's something important to be said there too, because much like we always joke about B Corps, you know, more profit, more purpose, um, more impact is same thing with your financial wealth. I think, you know, as, as we, as we get older, we're looking to where can we put our money back into society and what can we invest in from a charitable standpoint and an impact standpoint. And so it, those are important things to say that like, there's something to be said for some of those returns being reinvested as well um, and not necessarily in the market. That's right. And, and I think you, you uh, now touched on something that I'm going to jump on, which is the quote market, right? What is the market and why is that the only thing we, we have, right? We're, we're stuck with stocks, right? Well, as, as sort of regular folks, we have access to funds. We have fund ETFs and different ways to invest, but mostly it's about the growth of companies, right? But as our and that's how you end up with with the profitable uh, you know enterprises. You know you're reinvesting and getting dividends and all that stuff. Well, for our larger clients, the real way that they're making impact is through projects, through things that really have a benefit on day one. And one of my favorites and something I'm working on right now is is investing in solar farms. And um, the average person doesn't have access to that, right? But for those who do. The impact that they're making on the carbon footprint of the world is is clear and measurable and real. It's this concept of additionality, they call it, where you're adding something additional to the world. And when you and I trade stocks between each other, chances are we're not changing the world at all, right? You had your X and I had Y and I gave you my Y and you gave me X. Well, I feel better because I no longer have that stock in my portfolio. That's alignment. Right. Alignment's important because it's what you care about and it's how you build your portfolio. That's that's only part of the equation, though. What's additional that you're doing? Are you engaging management to change their behavior, perhaps? You know, that sort of thing. So there are lots of ways to do this, is what I'm saying. And the excitement is when you can really have a measurable physical impact at something that's real. It's, it's fine. And I feel like I have to, I know I have to wrap this up, but I'm like, now I want to go down like the whole like shareholder, like the activist shareholders and some of the things that have happened, but we're running out of time. We'll save that one for another day um, or for a, for a casual beer when we can finally do that again. Um, but last question I love to ask everybody is um, what's one question you wished I had asked you? What do you do? that you think is advancing this, this idea 
that you just find to be fun and amazing. And you touched on it earlier. It's teaching. I get such a charge out of working with young people. And as a business owner, interfacing with people who are a different generation is really valuable, not only for the energy that it brings, but the perspective that's different. And so I've got a mentorship program that I help lead here in Atlanta with a bunch of different colleges. And I get to teach like you, not as much as you, but I get to teach like you at a college in North Georgia, University of North Georgia, where I get to teach a class. And it is honestly the highlight of my semester, if you will. And so I, I just, I recommend that to any business owner to give something back to the young people uh, by sharing, you know, we can call it wisdom or just perspective, but it is a very valuable part of my life. It's something that I will probably do at, at, until I can no longer, uh, you know, talk. And I, hard to picture that, right? I can no longer talk. I always say, or until they don't renew my contract. Oh, they won't let me. When they, when they no longer invite me back. How do I put my money into my values? How do I invest? And how do I also probably, I mean, like any smart investor, how do I get in touch with Scott Sadler so I can talk about that thinking mindset of, of ESG investing? Yeah, I think the easiest way is to visit us online at boardwalkcm.com um, or Boardwalk Capital Management, boardwalkcm.com. Or I'm Scott at boardwalkcm.com. So, but I didn't say those too fast. Well, we'll put them in the show notes. And then also, you know, me being a LinkedIn junkie, he's also B, Scott Sadler on LinkedIn. Um, and if you ever want to be a fly on the wall, because now you can tell how much fun it is to be in a conversation with the two of us, um, you know, check out B Local Georgia's website for upcoming events because neither one of us ever missed them. Um, but Scott, Thanks for being here today. Thanks for sharing your wisdom. You know me, I'm kind of a, a, a finance. Uh, uh, I didn't do well in finance courses. We'll say that. So uh, it's always a pleasure to pick your brain. You have a, a, a unique way of, of explaining things in a way that even I can understand them. So I'm grateful for your time and your wisdom and your friendship. And uh, thanks for coming on today. Oh, it is absolutely my pleasure. Uh, I enjoyed it thoroughly. It's been a, a really fun uh, half hour or so. So thank you. Appreciate the opportunity. Well, that wraps up another edition of Be The Change Georgia. We're so thankful for you being a part of this purpose-driven leadership community and would be grateful if you went on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and tapped the number of stars you felt this show deserves. This helps us continually improve the content and get it out to more aspiring B Corp leaders to grow the movement of using business and leadership as a force for good. Remember, making a profit and making a difference aren't mutually exclusive ideas in business, and we encourage you to plug into this community to learn how you can do both as a 21st century leader by visiting BeLocalGeorgia.com and following the Be Local Georgia pages on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. We have some exciting programming coming up soon with events and more inspiring networking opportunities that you won't want to miss. This podcast wouldn't be possible without the help from our executive producer and production team at Chat with Leaders Media. If you're looking to launch your own podcast for your business in the industry you serve, go to chatwithleaders.com. Now go enjoy your day and be a leader worth following.